Welcome to the Bros Before CEOs podcast. This is the podcast that believes that you can love your job by increasing your career capital through learning rare and valuable skills. So let's say you've got a great idea and you pitch it to your boss and it's shut down, or you have staff that don't take initiative, or you're at the top of your game and you're just getting bored. What do you do next? And that's what we're talking about on this episode of Bros Before CEOs. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. It's the Bros Before CEOs podcast. Bro, I'm not your bro, bro. If for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do. I think people can choose to be not ordinary. You're not everything you could be, and you know it. Bro, take it easy, okay? All right, is this the sound of the podcast starting? Hmm. Is that gluten-free beer? Uh, it is a gluten-free beer. Nice. It's true. Well, this is your episode. As we said, we've been splitting our episodes up. So you take the brain space on one and I take the brain space on another. So tell us a little bit about the book that has inspired this episode for you. All right. Well, first of all, you got to know this guy, Aaron Ross. I'm actually, I read a book by Aaron Ross. He led sales for Salesforce back in the day and wrote an amazing book um, that I'm going to pull up real fast. And, um, oh yeah, it's called predictable revenue changed my life when thinking about sales. That was like a how to book of doing outbound sales and doing sales. But then he wrote from impossible to inevitable, which is basically that book expanded way more complex, but, and goes way deeper into subjects and also into running businesses, impossible to inevitable. It's a thick, dense read, but it is super, super good. So I thought I'd revisit some of the concepts from this book because I really, really liked it. And uh, one of the things that it has inside of it is uh, this this open letter. Like, you know, the, the concept of like writing an open letter. Like you, you see them online. They're, they're not necessarily business related, like open letter to this person where it's yeah, like yeah. you write and you post an open letter. And he does this exercise in the book that I want to spend a couple minutes talking about where it's he spends a few minutes doing like an open letter to this is fictional, but it's like an open letter to company executives from a disgruntled staff member. And I kind of wanted to read a little bit of this. So it's like, oh, dear executives from an employee. And look, for anyone listening, like if you've ever been a, an employee of someone, you might get this. Or if you have employees and you're like, this is like, basically he's writing a letter from a millennial to everyone else and everyone like whines and complains about it. But it's pretty interesting. I thought I would talk about it. So he's like, okay, dear executives. And this is fictional. This is staff member talking to executives. It's like, I love working for this company, but the long and the short of it is like, I want to help it, but I don't know how I always bring up these ideas and they get shut down. I feel like you don't listen to me or the other employees. We have ideas. We've tried to share them, but after the third time, nothing happens. And no one cares or no one listens. I just give up. And it's so hard to change any, anything here. And so all of my bright ideas are going into my side hustles, et cetera. And he's like, I know I need to perform my day job, but uh, aren't there ways that I can also keep learning in other areas? like making the company more money. Anyway, I, it basically someone's like, man, I have all these ideas, but I'm not appreci an underappreciated staff member. And it's not bashing on the staff member. And I'm not saying that this concept is bad. I'm saying, does that sound like a lot of people in the workforce that feel frustrated in their jobs? Like, oh, I want to do more, but I just don't know how. And all my ideas get shot down. Like how often have you heard that before? Yeah, I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I think there's like two camps in my mind of people like that. One is, the brand new employees who kind of have to learn the ropes a little better before they can bring those ideas. I'm not saying that brand new employees can't bring good ideas to the table, but I feel like impatience 
there's like a there's like a side of the mountain you can you can fall off either side of the mountain where it's like you want to bring new ideas about a project you don't know about too fast uh which shows like an unwillingness to learn or unwillingness of humility like a lack of humility and then there's the super talented people that have a ton of ideas and they have no avenue to like express those ideas and really have a good like pressure release to be able to feel valued and feel like their ideas are valued or even feel like they have the ability to express ideas get them shot down and learn from them and move forward um, and like that's personal development. So certainly, hopefully I don't feel that way with a lot of people that work for me. Um, I I try to have some active exercises, which we could talk about some of the things I'm doing maybe in a bit, but to encourage employees to bring ideas. And in fact, one of my rocks this quarter actually is uh, to have incubators. So like startup incubators for new ad- ideas or initiatives within the company. Um, and so that's all about teaching people how to think and how to come up with new ideas Um but certainly I felt like that before in other, in other jobs, not so much in my current job. And I could probably assume that a lot of people feel that way in their job. Well, you can even think like, okay, if you go up to someone, you go up to anyone in my company right now and be like, what should be done better around here? Yeah. They could probably be like, this gotta be, this is, this needs to change and this needs to change. And I've been saying this for years. Like, I think that's a fairly safe assumption of a many people that talk like that or think like that. And sometimes it's a function of, well, the management is not set up well to actually initiate change. Like I'm not saying it's all due to inaction or immaturity yeah, or getting I, ahead of the horse, but in many times it's a lot of waiting to be told what to do versus going ahead and doing something. That's a fine line that I want to talk about here in a minute, but there's a difference between like pointing out all the things that could be better and then actually initiating change. Yeah. I would say the follow-up question for me on that would be like, what needs to change about the company? And then, they, everyone should have ideas. And then do you have an avenue by which you can express that where it will be heard well and you can have that, like have trust with your boss or your team to have that conflict and then leave with a commitment, even if that commitment isn't exactly what you wanted or exactly what the other person wanted. Yeah. All right. So this is Aaron Ross's fictional response, open letter. It's called Dear Employee from the Executives. Dear Employee, so you want to be successful in your career. Maybe you believe right now that you deserve a promotion or a raise, or maybe you're just bored. Maybe people don't respect your great ideas or listen to you. Maybe you think you're not getting a fair shake from either the owners or perhaps even uh, the customers. Maybe our management systems are just broken and they defeat people's best efforts. Um, Although we never admit that publicly. He says, well, the truth is, while we like you as a person and think that you're swell and you're doing well in your job, that's the minimum. We don't see how you're going out of the way to contribute in other ways. So here's the deal. If things aren't happening in the way that you want, it's time to take charge of your own destiny rather than believe it's the fault of other people, such as your manager, owner, or team. Don't don't blame others for not recognizing your greatness. If you wait for people to recognize or discover you here or anywhere, chances are that you'll be waiting a long time. The time will never be perfect. The opportunity will never be perfect. You just have to work with what you have, as frustrated or defeated as you feel. I'm going to skip forward a little bit. Um, if your reaction is, how do I do that? Well, then that's the whole point because we can't tell you if we knew we'd already be doing it. How can you improve the business in ways that we don't see or aren't practical yet? Okay. If your reaction is, well, I've tried to do that and keep getting shot down. Then the best we can say is find someone who will believe in you and coach you here. Even if you have to do it privately, since it might not be your manager, you can't wait for the company or anyone to figure this out for you. And if you're unsure where to begin, start by talking to us and other employees, what problems need to be solved and what functions need an owner, need an owner and who wants to help you. Key point being there is what function needs an owner and who wants to help you be the owner of that thing to initiate change. 
I think it's like, okay, when you point out opportunities of change, sure. If you need validation, are you, if you, are you asking, is this something that really needs to be changed or are you asking someone else to like make the plan to fix it? And I think those are two different questions. Oh, hundred percent. And while these are fictional and you know, people are probably coming up. But one thing I love about Aaron Ross is that he asks things like he anticipates the common reactions. How do I do that? Well, I keep trying to do that. Keep getting shot down. Like we hear that often. Yeah. Um, and I love that he's basically saying like, look, at the end of the day, sitting still and be like, oh, woe is me is not actually going to go and initiate change. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting, a good point. And he's like, okay, so we believe that you have unbelievable potential. So stop talking about it and show us by taking the initiative, put down your smartphone and Instagram and get out from behind your computer. We want you to, we want you to succeed here as badly as you do. Um, and as I've been reflecting on that and like chewing on it, I'm like, okay, have I demonstrated this in my job? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, yeah, like I can think of many occasions where like, well, this has to get done. So I'm just going to do it. And it is completely extracurricular from my job. Yeah. And sometimes that feels really frustrating because maybe I start actually doing worse on my job job. But at the same time, like I got it, like change has to happen. Things have to get done. Mm-hmm. And if no one's going to be doing it, well, then I will. And I don't care if it's like the most, in the trenches job, or I don't care what it is. Like I've picked, been picking up a lot of dirty work lately. at job. Like I've been handling the bad customer calls. I've been delivering the difficult messages. I've been doing the administrative tasks. And frankly, you know, it's annoying, but it is what it is. Like it's how you lead because people actually see change. So, um, anyway, so those are the two open letters. And then the one final letter that I want to bring up before we get into some of the, uh, some of the uh, um, the main meat of this book is, uh, okay, well, here's a side letter. Dear senior executives from the CEO and board. And basically this is, don't get left behind. And he writes an open letter to senior executives, which was interesting for me, which was like, hey, you've been smashing it. You've done all this stuff. You've been doing this for six, seven, eight years. Um, um, you've been successful in that. And now it's time for you to think, okay, how do you not get left behind? And it basically makes the argument that it's like, um, you can't wait for more budget, more people in order for you to evolve and adapt. You always have to move forward. You have to embrace faster decisions, which is something I'm really dealing with. Nothing happens until a decision is made. Are you avoiding making an important decision because you're afraid of making the wrong one and looking bad? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. And then it's like saying, get your hands dirty. Say I, not we. Do you think we should start a blog or start prospecting or coming up with a new vision statement? Kick off with the grunt work yourself. And you'll set an example and learn more about what it will take. Um, and then it talks a little bit about learning like different departments. Like maybe you should learn more about security or IT or human resources and solve problems there and like grow your skill set. But I really love that get your hands dirty. And this has been something that I've been, you know, I mean, this is my life right now, which is, I got to get my hands dirty. I have to say I, not we, and I have to embrace faster decisions. And I've been thinking about you know, two weeks ago in the podcast, we talked about thinking in bets and like thinking, okay, well, what's the, what, like, what, what are the, what are the worst case scenario? What's the probability of that happening and making faster decisions there? So I want to tie this all together and say, okay, if you don't know what to do next, like maybe you are, you resonate with that first letter and you're like, man, I have all these ideas and people don't take me seriously. Or maybe you're a leader and you have people and you're like, no one's taking the initiative. Or maybe you're at the top of your game and you're like, what do I do next? That's kind of the subject for today's, um, for today's discussion, because we all want to get to the point where things are getting accomplished. 
we have a good team, we are owning certain channels, but at the same time learning to delegate. And I think that's like kind of like the main subject here is like if we can get to the point where we know that things are getting done, value is being created, and at the same time it's not overly dependent on me, I think that's a healthy place to be. Um, have you thought about, like like for you, you're growing in a particular role in a particular place and gaining expertise in that. Do you feel comfortable there? Do you feel like you're still growing there? Do you feel like you've become complacent? Like which which one of those letters resonates with you? Yeah, so I would say I'm I'm in a fairly unique spot in the past couple of weeks because, and it's something I've been like preaching for a long time because one thing I tell my team and, and in the first letter in the response to the disgruntled employee, he kind of said something similar, but I just talked to my team maybe like a week and a half ago about opportunities. And we started talking about like what you need to do to be ready for opportunities. And, and one of that is, doing a good job at your job that you own is like price of entry. Correct. So one, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get this great opportunity. But two, if you're not doing a good job at your job, you're not even in consideration, Yeah. right? You got to take care of your house. So that means a lot of it is either finding efficiencies and being able to do your job well in less hours or taking, especially if you're in growth mode, like just take some extra time or, you know, come in early, work a little late. And it's not, working for the man and putting money in someone else's pocket is to grow yourself personally. Like you're looking at this like college, like you're investing in yourself. And so for me, that's kind of always been my thing is I've never not found the next peak and the next challenge to take. And so what's interesting reading, listening to this is something that we can talk about on the podcast. Now we couldn't last time I recorded, but um, I'm actually taking over. So in EOS, we have different roles. And so the role that I take is visionary. So that's, um, you know, the ideas, the culture, the direction of the business, where it's going, et cetera. So typically like the CEO, and then we have an integrator, which is uh, the person that's helping you get to the next 90 days. And that's like traditionally like a COO role. And so we have that set up really well at 97. Earlier this year, we launched a whole new uh, brand called Everflow that does all the ads and things. And now they have their own employees and it's a like a small brand that's growing into their own. And we're going to have that separated out as a separate company. But uh, last week last monday uh we announced to all of our teams that uh myself and my coo are taking over another brand Uh, they have about 12 employees right now and um their ceo and founder is stepping out his last day is tuesday so they got like two weeks notice we got three weeks notice and so one it's really exciting for me because now there's zero time for complacency yeah like it's a whole new subject that i'm learning the, the guy who's stepping down and leaving, it was very technical. And so there's a lot of like physical servers and a lot of things that I'm learning that's new to me. I'm really excited about it. But last week I spent the whole time meeting with every single employee one-on-one. They need probably 17 employees immediately. And like 17 additional total. Okay. So they need like, we're like five hires short, like yeah. that we're actively making. Um, we actually just put an offer out today. Um, but one of the things I did was you know, this was a company that's very cool, very good, bunch of rock stars on the team, but they had, their culture is very interesting. Like they didn't have team meetings. They didn't communicate. They had no pulse. The, there's really no organizational structure. Most people reported directly to the CEO. So I was very nervous that I was going to go in and I was going to find a bunch of people who are kind of complacent with where they're at. Most of them had been there like six, 10 years and they weren't going to be like super open to change and they weren't going to be super open to this. And so I had one-on-ones with every single one of them last week. And so one of the things amongst many things we talked about was stop, start, continue. So what's one thing the company should start doing? What's one thing the company should stop doing? What's something the company should continue doing? 
And it was really cool because what we're doing is we're doing this, this like I, not we thing. So it's like, oh, we should do this. It's like, cool. Who's the I in that? Mm-hmm. Is that something you're going to do? Yep. And what's really cool is they've been, first of all, all the people there are awesome. They're super talented people. I was super happy with that. And they all wanted like structure. They all wanted accountability. They all wanted more meetings. It's like, what kind of company do you walk into where you want more meetings, right? Everyone's <laughs> like, we want less meetings, but they they fell off on the other side of the hill where they had no meetings and they had no like vision or goals for the future. And so you know, right now it's really fun for me to sure 97 could be better, but I think we do a really good job through EOS of owning roles where people say like, this is what I own. And, or if, if I don't own it, I know who does own it. And if no one owns it, that's an opportunity. And so now we're going into a culture that doesn't have that at all. And saying things like, you see this problem, you've been here 10 years, you're very smart, like go do it and let us support you, but stop saying, Oh, it can't be done because of this. And so one thing that's been a pain point for this company is hiring. So obviously with a new company, you're trying to get little, like quick wins and things. And um, one of the people there, they needed a hire and everyone agreed that I talked to that this hire was needed. And he's like, I have a really good candidate, but you know how it is like the hiring process is long. Like they've been trying to hire for this for like a year and a half. And so that was last Wednesday and we made an offer today. So it's like, what was the holdup? Just dumb stuff. Oh, dumb stuff. But it's not anymore because it's like, hey, you on it? This is the thing. Yeah. We're doing it, right? And so we got it out. It's like, we'll figure it out because once the offer's out, we got we to gotta make it happen, right? Well, and so it's awesome. like, you know, quick win for that. But it's like giving, it's like, it's like exactly reading this letter is a bunch of people saying, I don't know how to express myself. I don't, my like, my ideas for where the company should go like aren't like going forward. And so it's been really cool to like come in with this exact letter and be like, cool, here's how you get those ideas going. You own this now. Yeah. He goes on to talk about, like, he asked this question, how can you help employees go above and beyond, not just in hours, but in initiative? Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction. Like, it's really not about coming in early and going home late. Like, that might happen. For a season. Either for a season, or that might be what you need to do if you, you know, depending on how taxing your 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 day job is and what your role is. Um, but you could, I guess my, my point is you could easily come in early and stay late and it's not actually about taking initiative or it doesn't 100%. actually make change. And some people do that because they wear working a lot as a badge of honor. Yeah, correct. I want to work as little as possible, but sometimes as little as possible is way more than 40 hours a week. And sometimes it's 35 correct. hours. Exactly. A week. Exactly. Yeah. As possible because there are things that have to get done. Like I'm entering into a season frankly for the next month where like I'm going to have to just work a lot because a lot of stuff has to get done and it'll be all right. Anyway. So he says, how can you help employees go above and beyond their job description? Not just in hours, but in initiative. Um, and he makes a point. Well, most executives wish their employees took more initiative and acted like owners. Well, it may not be the people that are the problem. It might be the system of management that needs to change. Now, granted, let's discuss these two letters in this light. Okay. Letter number one, like I want to take initiative, but I don't know how. And letter number two is like, stop blaming and pointing fingers. And he tries to wrap it all together by saying, well, you need a system of management that communicates ownership and not ownership in terms of stock or even money necessarily. Although that might be a part of it in some instances, but ownership in terms of like owning something that's a part that's valuable to the company, like a function or a role or a responsibility or a KPI that's important to the company that is visible 
that has accountability and a spotlight on it that actually makes change. And he spends the next couple of pages talking about like what is functional ownership. And I'll just see if I can read this. Um, someone has, uh, okay. Someone has functional ownership and the emotional commitment that comes with it when they, as a single person clearly and publicly own a slice of how the business works, whether it's the P and L for a billion dollar division or a refrigerator cleaning routine. He or she is 100% responsible for it, including its results, related decisions, and improvement. And I love that, related decisions. Yeah, so I'm going to be honest with you. Like, hearing this, I feel like two years ago, and it has nothing to do with my experience, it has nothing to do with my education, it has nothing to do with I'm smarter now than I was two years ago. Two years ago, these would have been big problems for me, where it's like, man, these are complicated, yeah. and it's like, takes tactic. EOS solves 100% of these. And literally, I look at this and go, I probably am better than 99% of business owners that I know at this. And it's nothing to do with me. We bought into the system and we work it well. Is this like an EOS podcast pitch? This could be because I'm I'm just telling you that. And the more I get in with businesses, especially now that I'm looking at other businesses and when I talk to people, it's literally just like, and sure, there are other methodologies out there and EOS isn't unique. Just like the next thing that comes out that's like EOS won't be unique. But it just literally, and it has its flaws, but for this of like how to give people accountability and yep. ownership over a role and function, there's nothing better because none of these are problems other than in lack of execution of EOS in my company. Yep. But there's never any question of how could we do this? For any listeners out there that are like, what are they talking about? Um, first of all, go listen to all our episodes and you'll learn more. But EOS is called is short for Entrepreneurial Operating System. Entrepreneurial Operating System you can Google it. Um, it is just a way of managing companies that uh, we both yeah, use. Yeah, I just bought um, all the new employees a book called What the Heck is EOS? I'm sending it out to them because they're all going to learn EOS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for uh, your new company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I'm super excited. I was so, very like worried because it is a lot more structure. It's a lot of accountability. So we were thinking about like uh, you know rolling it over six months from now, but literally everyone said they wanted that, and so we're like, great, EOS is what we're doing, and they're like, cool, and so we bought them okay. the book. Okay, so, so them you've out. got a great system to do this, but explain to me like what happens psychologically in the mind of a staff member. Like, talk practically. What is it? What is an actual functional piece of the business that? I mean, it says like basically he makes the argument whether it's top of the hierarchy or bottom of the hierarchy, cleaning up the fridge, for instance. Yeah. Like, what are examples? of functional ownership that people within your company have and what does it do for that person or what do you think it does psychologically or yeah so i think in my experience the hardest part of this is people up top giving ownership to the people below them on things that they're good at and so and this is something that i struggle with as well and that's why i was just talking to uh my my integrator about this like yesterday or or maybe last week but this is something that we were working on. So like I said, we don't do this perfectly, but we have all the answers, if that makes sense. So it's the execution that's hard. And so for me, I have five things that I'm responsible for the company, and that is the the financials, the culture, like big, key, important relationships, new ideas, and the hard strategic problem solving. And so theoretically, if it's not one of those things, unless I'm helping someone because they ask for my help, I'm not getting in in the weeds of anything. So for me, my temptations are uh, customer service and sales because I'm really good at sales and I 
deal with our customers more than anyone else in person. And so customer service things really like are at the forefront for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to step in and own them. And I've been doing that for the last six months, like coming in, especially with sales, we had some some like shifts in sales. And so I've been making a lot of sales or, you know, doing owning little pieces that I know I shouldn't be owning. And then this thing comes where I have the opportunity to run another company. So now I'm like working 50 hours a week and I'm doing like 30 hours at the new company, 20 hours at 97. So I look and I say, all right, I have my rocks. I have my things, the five things that I own and I have the four things that the company's dependent on me to do this quarter. I can do all of those in 20 hours a week. So what am I doing with the rest of my time? Was all things that I'm being used as a crutch or I'm helping people as a crutch because I have like ownership and it's hard for me to let go issues. Mm-hmm. And it's something that like three weeks ago was on my list of like, how do I get this off my plate? But now it has forced me to say, I literally don't have time for it. Like there's no opportunity for me to, it's, and part of it is because before when I was being busy with other things, um, it was, you know, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And it wasn't that clear what I was saying no to when I was saying yes to all these things that weren't on my things that I owned. But now it's so clear to me that I have all these new responsibilities. What I'm saying no to if I'm saying yes is something that I shouldn't. And so overnight, things that aren't on those five and aren't one of my rocks, like I just don't have time to do. And guess what? No balls have been dropped. Because we've created a culture where people should own their things. And now we're saying, hey, there is no crutch and people are doing a great job in stepping up and owning them. So this has been like, even if this company doesn't, like one day I'm not doing this company anymore, it's been such a good lesson for me of how to give things to people and trust them because they're not going to fall if you have the right systems in place to own them. Yeah, two things that you just mentioned that I'm going to read from this book to reinforce your points. So point number one, you're not cloning yourself. So basically it's like, okay, why do execs struggle to give pieces of functional ownership? And it's what you said, like, if you're really good at something, you want to own it. Mm -hmm. That's a real challenge. But, you know, we've talked about this in this podcast. Like I've talked about like the idea of human hours, like it is always going to be better to equip and enable others to, because now you have someone else's hours doing what it is that you were doing, even if it's less effective. Yeah. You do the math. And and that is a hard line, right? Because sometimes you shouldn't hand something off to someone if they're terrible. Yeah. Right? But but then also it's like the way you got really good at something is because you weren't always really good at exactly. it. Exactly. So it's like that's why I think it's important to have the KPIs and the things around it to be like, okay, we're not judging you as if you are me. We're judging you based off of what the company needs to hit their goals. And these are the standards the company requires. Now, there are probably jobs in your company and there are certainly jobs in my company I could step in and do a better job. I think the first thing you gotta do is define define good job. Because if it's a measurable thing, like sell 10 websites a month, you might be able to sell 15 a month. So like, what is the expectation? And like Aaron in the book says, no one will ever be you. The job is not to be like you, create like you, lead like you. The job is what you define the job Correct. to be. So that's that's important. That's like the sides is you have to have the job defined with success, success metrics and minimum standards across the board for everybody. So that's not just like simple things like sales, but like how you're using your time and what the company is expecting. Because one of the things that we're really working on is, and we started that spend thing. I don't remember if you remember, like if our company hits certain metrics, we get a certain amount of spends. And then 
we have a big wheel with everyone's name on it virtually and we spin that and whoever it lands on gets a prize. So maybe sales team has a really good week and earns a spin for the company and then someone on the support actually gets the prize. But what we're trying to show is we have a goal where we want to be, you know, 10 years, five years, three years, one year from now. And so if that, and that goal positively impacts every single person, which is how you keep people innovating and growing because they want to get to that goal for themselves because it's like, man, getting to announce this to our company about this uh, new company that we're bringing into the fold was really cool because it's in our three-year picture that we created a year and a half ago. So a year and a half ago, we said in a year and a half, we want to have three companies with three separate brands, with three separate P&Ls and three separate teams and three separate leaders. And we were very far away from that three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But now we have that. So now in the next year, my goal is to replace myself at 97. Mm. My goal is to replace myself at Critical Impact. My goal is to replace myself at Everflow and have three leaders. And so now all of a sudden, in a company of 50 employees, there's three to five executive top level in the company positions that are going to come open. Now all of a sudden, that's like you know almost 10% of the people that work there are going to get this really great opportunity because it's not a big company. Yeah, And so it's like building that that thing to say like, hey, this is why price of entry is doing a good job at your role and owning it. But anyway, goes back to, we have this whole thing and this is where the company needs. And for like, we'll just use 97 display. That's a certain amount of sales, a certain amount of cancels, a certain amount of upgrades back to our base. It's a certain amount of referrals. It's a certain amount of, you know, all new technology, product roadmap, customer services. Everybody has a piece to play to get there. And everybody wants to get there because our life is better. And so the way that you define that, and that's why you have group accountability and not boss accountability, is the team is depending on you, salesperson, or you, support rep, or you, you know, whatever, developer. And if you don't do your job to what the company is depending on, we're not going to get collectively to where we all want to go. That's the beauty about functions, because if, if everyone has a slice of function, then you can see how it all goes together to a giant pie. And you can present that to the team well so people see, hey, even though I don't feel like doing my job today because I'm having a bad day or whatever, I care about so-and-so enough and know that me doing my job is going to not only help me in my future, but it's going to help him or her in their future. A key way to do that is by having a scorecard with financials on it. So like, one of my favorite things in the world to do is be like, okay, here's your financial scorecard or here's a scorecard with different KPIs and, and also the forecasted revenue figures. Mm -hmm. And if you can tie some of those KPIs as leading indicators of future forecasts, and then you adjust them downward and you see the impact or adjust them upward, you see the impact on revenues. And then when you have goals tied towards certain thresholds of revenues, you can be like, okay, I know it seems inconsequential that our tech number of bugs reported is whatever, but we're making an assumption that if our bugs go above this, that's going to tie to leads yeah. or sales or something or churn, and that impacts revenue, which yeah. means it's going to be another month before we make this higher. Like everything makes a difference. There's another section here, so good. It's called Execs Let Employees Decide. And this one hit me like a brick. Okay, every time an employee comes to you for a decision, you're stealing a chance for them to practice their own decision making, you're teaching them to depend on you. It's like, okay. First, decide together if it's something that requires your decision or authority. If it's not required, then make make it their decision, even if they don't want it. New responsibility can be exciting and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Decisions determine destiny. 
Owners need to improve their decisiveness and confidence, which comes from practice and coaching. So as often as you can find opportunities for them that don't require your authority, um, uh, find opportunities for them to make more of their own decisions and live with them. One rule, they only have to ask for advice from someone else before they can make it. I was like, and I just was living with that. I have this big decision at work. And I was like, Frank, I was going to my boss and I was like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And I didn't state this out loud, but I was looking for permission. Yeah. He said on a numerous occasions, like, like this is your decision. But I guess at that point I was really looking for like, yeah, this is a great, like I was looking for that. Like really I was looking for permission, not like, okay, you're allowed to, but I was looking for like the affirmation or something. Well, part of getting permission also takes the responsibility of the negative effects off Mm, of you. Yeah. So one of the things that I do to combat this, maybe it's like something now that I'm thinking about it, but something that I do is I, I, I do what's called the free pass. So when people are really struggling with taking on more responsibility, whether it's like, in sales, like how to how hard to push a client or mm. in customer support or something, say, look, you own this and make the decision and I, you get one free pass. So you go across the line with like pushing a sale too hard or doing this and I get a call. That's what happens, right? Like something breaks or a, with a coworker, like managing a coworker or something or, you know, pushing a coworker or something. And, and then they end up, I end up hearing about it because it was too much. So I'm like, you get one free pass. So go find the line. And then when you find the line, we'll all know because it will come to me and then I will sit you down and say, this was your pass. You found the line. Let's talk about it and how you can know where the line is in the future. Yeah, that's good. And I give that to so many people and I've never had to sit someone down and be like, that was the line. Mm. You know, so it's like you can always go a little harder. You can always push a little harder. And so we used to, when I was uh, like back in the day doing like phone sales and we would do like cold calls, someone told me that like, you get a free pass, go find the line. Stay on the phone with someone who doesn't want to talk with you so long until they get mad and hang up on you. Because you'll see how much farther past the line you wow. can act, the, the line actually is. So it's like Navy SEALs, right? They make you, one of the trainings they do is they make you hold your breath underwater until you go unconscious. And they have medics down there to like stop, plug your nose. But the goal for that exercise is when you think you're going to die, you are nowhere close and you can hold your breath so much longer. So that's what they do is they make you find the line. That's where I got it is they oh, make you like find the line of when you're going to pass out. So that way, you know, when you're in a real situation, you're struggling and you're panicking and you feel like you're going to drown, you know where the line actually is and it's much farther than you think. Mm. Not to say that, you know, we're passing out at work, but yeah, that's it's basically is fear of failure. Mm-hmm. or fear of the repercussions of failure or the judgment. And so if you can remove that obstacle. Correct. Go find it once. And so that way we know and you get a free pass. We like worst case scenario, let's say like you, we lose a client. I would hate that. I wouldn't want that, but I'm not going to fire you over that. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause I won't, cause you're going to be more valuable when you know what the line is and we can, t- now we can talk about it. It's not theoretical. Yeah. Now, obviously you can't like cuss out, a, you know, that people are reasonable. Like there's lines with that, but it's like, Hey, you have a conflict with a coworker and you're worried about going and talking with them because you don't know how far you can push them. Like as long as you don't do anything that's actually fireable where you have to get fired. Like, yeah. Or even just like this, like you, you have an idea for a thing and how to solve it, but you don't know if it's going to be the right idea or you have an initiative. You want to start it. Okay. You get a free pass. Like, like what's the, what's the downside and you get a free pass. Like it'll be okay. I won't judge you. Yeah. Like let's talk about it's like financial decision. It's like, okay, let's say it's five grand. Yeah. Like that's where it's like advice and be like, go find the line. Worst case scenario, let's say you blew 
an an idea or a deal or you blew a like like made a terrible decision and the company lost five thousand dollars like because you you got scammed yeah okay let's sit down now we have the line now we now we talk about not repeating it but it's like that lesson is worth a lot of money yeah well, yeah, Impossible to Inevitable by Aaron Ross. Super good book. Y'all have to read it. Um, it's certainly for sales and marketing professionals. The first half of the book is like all about like stories of cold calling and sales organizations and how they grew and how to think about software sales. Um, but yeah, I mean, this little section was interesting in terms of like identifying um, where are, like, are you, are you the staff struggling to get I, good ideas heard or are you a manager struggling with people complaining and t- not taking initiative or are you an executive that's plateaued somehow and then you know some of these ideas in regards to actually getting people functional ownership so that they can start having an entrepreneur mindset in their role and giving them some freedom to play and have ownership and make those decisions and and, and if you can get a handful of like even just one or two other people in your organization to have an entrepreneurial mindset have ownership freedom to fail you know, or at least freedom to play. Um, that's how true initiative and change is going to take place. And hopefully we'll get your company out of a rut if it is. And, uh, and, and really take it to the next level. So yeah, this was this book. I thought it was pretty cool. And, um, that's what I got for you today, Houston. Cool. Well, this is great. I'm going to read the book and we will see you guys next week with my episode on all about how to talk to people in public. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. It's the Bros Before CEOs podcast. Bro, I'm not your bro, bro. If for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do. I think people can choose to be not ordinary. You're not everything you could be, and you know it. Bro, take it easy, okay?